few of them, having music like this every Sunday for the rest of my life might be a blessing that I would ask for this Thanksgiving season. Thank y'all so much. Well, I hope y'all want to go a little old school today because I was a little off of my routine this morning. And I left my earpiece on my desk and realized it as I walked in here. And at that point, it was no turning back. Uh, So I am going to get to stand still for all of you who want to see me plant my feet. And we are going to be here for the rest of the sermon, at least. Uh, Today, uh, with Thanksgiving uh, approaching quickly, I decided to look at the book of Philippians, uh, especially the, the portion in the end. Uh, where uh, Paul thanks the Philippians for a gift that he had received. You know, growing up, I've always heard as Philippians as the the Thanksgiving letter. It it was a letter of gratitude that Paul had written. written. Let's invent some new words. He wrote it to his his peoples. But Paul wrote this letter uh, because he received a gift. But, you know, as the more and more I've read this book over my lifetime, you know, I'm... I find different verses powerful and meaningful and help guide me, but I always found it funny. This letter of Thanksgiving, Paul waits until the last chapter to actually say thank you. Have you all noticed that? He did. This letter of thanks. And the, Well, let me read it to you. So chapter 10, uh, chapter 10, chapter 4, verses 10 tells us this. This is Paul speaking uh, to the Philippians. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length... You have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I I am to be confident or content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, uh, you sent me help for my needs, uh, needs once and again. Not that I seek the gifts, but I seek the fruit that increases uh, to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Powerful thanksgiving, but he kind of said, I didn't really need your gift, but thanks anyways. Did you notice that? But you have to understand the context to really see just how powerful this is. Now, Philippi was a Roman province. It was kind of a colony of sorts. Uh, It was, if you were born there, you would have been considered a Roman citizen. Now, there was a problem uh, when we had all these wars and stuff where the Caesars waged war and things like that. You had retiring military people. Now, military people, and you've probably known a few and met some, sometimes they're not the easiest to get around. They're not necessarily the easiest to live around. Uh, They can be harsh men because they have seen stuff that you can never unsee. And I imagine during the Roman uh, bloodthirsty conquest, they probably saw some things that you never should see, but they saw them. 
And so, you know, you think of PTSD, all these kind of things. Uh, but they were retiring, so the, the Caesar wanted to put them up in a nice place into to a place where they could retire to. So he actually displaced some of the citizens of the land and gave them their property to retire in Philippi. Um, it was full of military people. And one thing that every military I've ever met, they are proud to be whatever citizen they are. So military folks in our, our country are proud to be Americans because the reason they fought was to ensure the freedoms that we so freely uh, take for granted today. Uh, but just like in Philippi, these Roman citizens had this nationalism about them. So their culture was steeped in what it meant to be a Roman. They were Roman citizens, even though they didn't live in Rome, but they were truly Roman and they cared about it. Now, there's a twist. Uh, we don't worship our president, thank goodness. Uh, but they did in their day. There was this idea of an imperial cult. This was the actual worship of your emperors. Uh, at some, one point in the past, it was after the emperors died, they were deified, and then you could worship basically their spirit. Uh, but at some point, it changed to where you actually worship the living God in the emblem of your emperor. Now, this wasn't really uncommon in the ancient world because they had multiple gods. You know, they had the pantheon of gods. You know, you think uh, the Zeus gods from the Greek. Well, the Romans had their version and all this kind of stuff. So it was not unusual to just add another god to your re repertoire. Uh, but this is the city in which they grew out of. And, and Paul was there. And, and it's amazing God thinks to see how this church was even founded. I mean, Paul saw in a vision to come that they were calling over, so he did, and he went. He really didn't spend time. If you go back in Acts and read the accounting of founding of, of the Philippian church, he didn't spend a ton of time in this area. But their relationship, one that was kind of, you know, uh, love at first sight kind of deal, they, they fell in love with each other, and these Philippians, out of their resources, because this was a very prosperous town, were able to share but they also suffered for it too. They were suffering persecution because of what they believed. Because this was a very nationalistic town. This was, I mean, Rome first type mentality. Them before everything else. And if you read through the Gospel of Luke and then through Acts and find the story of how the Gospel came, how it descended in the form of a man and the story of Jesus Christ, you can't help but read those first opening lines of Acts. It says, when the days of Caesar Augustus, it puts the two together. So this Jesus that these Philippians worship. They didn't worship the rest of the gods like all of their neighbors and stuff. They worship Jesus, the true king. The Caesar was the true king. And so if you can imagine those who said Caesar is king and Lord, Caesar is savior, and they're saying no, Jesus is savior and only he deserves our, what? our worship. You can see how they would become at odds in their city. And so while they prospered, they also suffered persecutions and things of that nature. You know, as we get ready for Thanksgiving, uh, I was thinking, how do we, we talk about Thanksgiving? Because this is a, a cultural uh, festival that we are celebrating. It, it, it goes back to as, as people settled our country and that, that first Thanksgiving, those pilgrims um, took part in many years ago, but have you taken the time to consider that lately? Have you considered that journey of those 
early Puritan settlers coming to the New World to uh, carry the gospel with them because in part it was to escape persecution, but they also had a zeal for those in faraway places that had not heard the gospel. Well, the other day I was driving home and I listened to different podcasts from time to time, sometimes books on tape. Um, but there was uh, this podcast by Dave Ramsey. He ha- has a few different ones, but this one is his Entra Leadership Podcast. If you want to read the book, I'll give a, a plug for our library. It is available, one that he wrote, wrote on that. It's kind of a combination between entrepreneurship and leadership, and it's his kind of philosophy on leading. It's, it's a great read, but he has this podcast, and, and they were interviewing this historian named Stephen Mansfield, and he was sharing with them kind of the settlement of our country, or at least the, the pilgrim side of it. And so it's fascinating to, to think back on those days. And so this, this group of Puritans, this Protestant breakaway group, got themselves into trouble in England. Because England, uh, King George, you know all this kind of stuff, we, we started the, the Anglican Church when they broke away from the Pope back in the day. And so the country of England were Anglicans. Episcopals here in America now. We had a revolution, so they didn't want to hold on to that title. Uh, But the Anglicans and the Episcopals follow a very similar trajectory. Uh, Well, these Puritans thought the Anglicans were wrong. They're Protestant, get protests. You know how that goes. Baptists kind of came out of it too, but this was a group of Puritans. Uh, They returned to the Bible, and they they had their own church. Well, because they weren't Anglican, they were being persecuted in England. And so this group in 1608 escaped England on the persecution, and they went to Holland because Holland was open to different religions. They they welcomed all into their, their land, but they also welcomed all. You see where I'm going with this? They had a very loose sense of morals and and rules and regulations. What was good for you was good for you as long as it didn't affect me. It was this very libertine lifestyle. And so this group of Puritans who had escaped persecution in England had started fearing for the growth of their children because this Holland culture was very open to all kind of things. And some of their children were being kind of led astray And it it worried them. It worried them for their children's life. Well, what if they don't follow into the faith because of all these outside influence that so easily entangle us with this world? But then at the same time, this missionary vision started forming in their their minds. And the two kind of came together. One, it was kind of a personal drive to to protect their family because they wanted to, to teach them the beliefs that they had found in this Puritan way of life. And they also wanted to carry the gospel that they had found, that they were willing to suffer these persecutions and leave their homeland of England for something else. And God laid on on the pastor's life this vision for them to go to the new world and carry with them their teaching so that they may be able to worship freely and to build a society based on, on the morals and the teachings of this Christian faith that they had found so important to their life. And so, you know, they started making arrangements. And uh, have you ever heard of the boat, the Speedwell? It actually set out originally with the Mayflower. It leaked a lot. And there was a thing about crossing this really vast set of this vast ocean to get to the New World from Holland is you don't want to be in a leaky boat. 
And so they set out, set sail, but then they had to return so they could get the speedwell back to port. We don't hear about it too much because it never left. It went back and they settled, but they, it delayed their departure. And so they started off on their journey a little bit later. So now they're in the fall of 1620 as they leave for this new world to carry this vision of this society where they could share the gospel with those who had never heard of it in this new land and that they could build a society based on what they have found from God, this kind of utopia of sorts. But so their timing was off, and not everybody came because some of them joined them, but it was like a little over 100 pilgrims as they began to know to, to board this Mayflower a little bit later in the year. And if you know anything about ocean crossings in that time of year, there, there are problems with storms, and they hit just about every storm you can imagine coming across on their voyage. But it also pushed them north. So instead of landing in Virginia, they landed in Plymouth. It's a big difference when you're coming across. But it was 66 days of misery. And and we don't talk about this too much in school or in our history books, but not only were they being persecuted at home, they had gone on this voyage that lasted the 66 days. Uh, they, They were not just men and women. They were men, women, and children. In fact, there was a pregnant woman going across on this voyage, and the ship was being tossed to the point where the mass was dipping in the ocean water. Can you imagine that? And when you picture the Mayflower in your head, do you picture this big cruise liner going across the ocean? I used to as a kid, because even in those paintings, that thing looked massive. It would probably fit in our gym. It's no bigger than a volleyball court. It wasn't this big, massive boat with all these supplies and everything that you need for an ocean voyage. It was really a small sailing ship with a bunch of pilgrims on board. These people were farmers and sheep herders. They weren't uh, nautical voyagers. And so this very rough crossing was even rough on the, the sailors who did that all the time. But can you imagine, if you've never been on a boat, this was your first experience with the ocean? And to the point where the mast of your ship is going back and forth, dipping in the water? You guess what? They got a nickname. One of the crew was not happy that they were carrying these people around with them. So he started calling them psalm singing puke stockings. Because that's what they did. They either sung songs together because this was a religious avoid and they had counted the cost before they set sail. And when they weren't singing songs, they were vomiting because of the violentness of the ocean waves. And it's interesting, out of all those that crossed to the Americas on that voyage, there's only one fatality in the ocean crossing. Guess who it was? The one who began calling those pilgrims psalm singing pute stockings. Is it a correlation there? I don't know, maybe so. But it's interesting to see. So a little over 100 of them settled in a place far north of where they intended to go without a group to welcome them. There was no one there but an English-speaking native named Squanto. And interesting enough, do you know what his first question was when he came across this strange group of Puritans on the beach? You got any beer? And you're like, that doesn't make sense. Well, let's think back. Water in those days was, was, they didn't know about microorganisms and all this kind of stuff, so people got sick from drinking water. And so one of the first things that the pilgrims did when they settled in the fall was to build a brewery so that they could have stuff that's safe to drink. 
And because of this elixir that they had, the Indian wanted some. And so when he spoke English and they had something to offer, and they began this kind of trading partnership, which helped get them through that first winter. Now, that first winter was not something that anyone would want to live through. So they landed with a little over 100. But they landed north of where they were at in a time when it was too late to plant anything for a harvest. I know this past season that uh, our farmers can probably understand this more is, is when you plant later in the season, your risk of not having anything. When the weather patterns are wrong, you, you may spend all this time working with nothing to show for it. This was the situation they found. They, they didn't land when they planted land. They, they landed farther north than they planted to land. And this was a brutal winter heading its way. Only 54 had survived over that first winter that these pilgrims had set sail. Now they knew the cost of what they were going on. But they could have been like those who were aboard the ship well and said, you know what, we've had enough, we're getting out of here the next chance we can get. But no, they stuck around. And with their, their partnership with the native, he, he taught them how to farm in an area where they'd never farmed before, how to harvest from the sea like they've never harvested before, and so that they could survive. Now that first winter, we know that the death toll was high and that they began burying their loved ones. But not only that, they, they started referring to this as the starving time. They began rationing their food so that they could stretch it as far as they could through the winter. You know how much they had to eat in their rations? Five kernels of corn a day. Think about that. I can get that in a good bite. But that's all they had. Now this group of Puritans who felt God's calling in the vision, who, who knew that there was risk involved with this, set sail from Holland where they had experienced persecution in England and, and they, they go through this first winter and they, they lose and bury a lot of their, their, their families. They said there wasn't a family among them that didn't experience a death over that first winter. Eating on nothing but five kernels, but through, through uh, partnerships with a native who had to be sent by God. Because, I mean, it doesn't make any sense that God wasn't involved in this. But they learned how to farm. And that first year, you know, as their crops came, they, 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 they had their first bountiful harvest. And they sent their men out hunting. And they, they had venison and, and, and game and fowl and these kind of things to, to fill this board. Now, unlike the commercials, they weren't serving cheesecake. It wasn't there. But they had all these things. And they decided to, to declare this feast of thanksgiving that we celebrate today and so thanksgiving only came through bitterness Paul's journey here to the Philippians was not an easy one his journey here came through bitterness it came through tough times I mean think about Paul's life when he was a young man he was zealous he was zealous for his faith. He went and sat at the, the feet of famous teachers, and he learned the way of his ancestors. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, those great, great uh, founders of the faith of uh, Judaism. 
And he was zealous for the cause that he was in. And he was an up-and-coming leader. And, and there was other uh, heretics that, that had risen up. And, and he decided that I am going to cleanse this from our faith so that we would have a pure religion. And that the leadership that I bring to this will be one that we, we return to the God that we saw in the old. And that we will rid our country of these Romans. And that we will once again be that shining city up on a hill. He had everything going for him until God intervened in his life. And God struck him blind so that he may truly see for the first time. And he had to rethink everything. I mean, he was at the top of his game. He was going places. And he gave it all up because of God. He gave it all up because of what God had done for him. And then he began to live his life the way that Jesus lived his life. He humbly took on the form of a servant. And he went to the places that God had sent him, no matter what the cost. And he had learned to truly live because he was blinded so that he could see. He was given a place to stop so that he may truly feel God's mercy and grace. And find true freedom. Because he was forgiven of that burden of sin that so easily entangled him. No longer did he have to try to live this perfect life. God didn't want him to live this perfect life in order to please him. God wanted him. That's why he sent Jesus so that he could forgive you of all those sins. So you could be his. You could be a child of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul knew. And so as he begins writing this letter of thanksgiving to the Philippians, he is thankful for them. And he tells them quickly that I know you were concerned about me because you heard I'm in prison. He's writing from prison. But he said, God is at work even in my chains today. In fact, even the imperial guard knows that I'm in chains, not for something evil that I have done, not for some law that I break, but because I am Christ and I preach Christ alone. They know and they are hearing. There are those other ones that would, would talk bad about me and say things about me. And they would point to my life before I was a Christian on how I persecuted the church. And they would, would cry to put a noose around your neck. One that the children of Israel could not live to the entire time. They would call you to do that. But Christ came and he frees you. He even came to the conclusion that if I live... It is for Christ. He said, it is better for me to go and be with my Lord. What I long to do, but if I live, Jesus Christ will give me fruitful labors all the days that I'm here. And he began to recognize his place in all of this. And his place with the Philippians, who by happen chance he had this vision and brought over it. He didn't spend this whole much time with, but he developed a relationship that would follow him his whole career. When others where he was serving did not reach out to help, the Philippians time and time again sent to his need. But he was concerned about them. He was concerned that they would follow the true light and that they would live by his example and live by the example of Christ. Just think about the journey of Jesus. In heaven, sit it out, sit it, sit, just excuse all those. But in heaven, at God's right hand, he descended and took on the form of human flesh. I mean, he was the king of king, lord of lord, before he became the son of man. 
He was there in the beginning. Just read through the Old Testament. You see the threads as his story is woven into the history, into the fabric of our lives. He was there and he gave it all up. And he became a man. Not only did he become a man, but he, he was raised by people of no notoriety. They were just common, just as me and you are today. There was no name recognition, no royal lineage other than the ancestral line. But they were kind of this nobodies, but they were God-fearing nobodies who were righteous and who, who lived obedient to the law that God had taught them who dedicated him to the service of God, who gave him the name that the angels had told them, and who raised him the best that they could. I mean, can you imagine raising the Son of God? But they prepared him. When he was young, they taught him the scriptures and the way of their ancestors so that he may know how to teach others. He was inspired by the Spirit, and he taught like one with authority because he was the authority. But he lived this perfect life. He was fearless. Nothing would get in his way. But people mocked him. In time, they spat on him. They beat him. And what did he do? But healed the sick, raised the dead. He had all these signs and things that, even so, he threatened the power of this world. So the power of this world crucified him. But he gave up his life freely. But he took it up again. And so as we look at the example of Jesus, we see that he came down to heaven as a servant and he was laid humble, humiliated on the cross. But he was exalted in the resurrection. And Paul saw his life in the same manner. He was at the top of his game. And he gave it up to be a servant to the gospel, going wherever God would lead him through this vision to the Philippians so that we may still hear their words today. Through storms, through shipwrecks, through snake bites, through stonings, through beatings, through lashes. All these things he did because he had heard the story and he had felt its power. And at the time he was living, it was life because he had humbled himself to do what God called him to do. And in this Thanksgiving letter, he says, I have learned to be hungry. I have learned to have plenty. I've learned to be in want. I've learned to abound. In all things I have learned so that I could show you too how to live. And so I think now as I read this scripture and to what those pilgrims faced that first winter, you have to go through Hades itself to truly understand what Thanksgiving is. And for those first pilgrims who laid in the grave, almost half of those who set out on a journey with them, who almost starved to death, each and every one of them living on five kernels of corn a day, because their faithful God who had led them to Holland, who had led them to the new world, was still faithful yet. They did not lose their faith and turn back and say, we made this royal mistake. We will bow to the crown in England and become Anglican again. No, they heard the voice just as Paul heard the voice, just as I pray you hear the voice. And they followed where God would lead them. They had counted the cost and they were willing to pay the price. And as such, we can celebrate Thanksgiving today for all the good that has taken place. 
But good can only be seen if we know the cost that gave it to us. Think about that. Paul, sitting in prison, writing to friends who have supported him through his ministry. He's like, you know, I expect to get out of here, but I may not. He said, but I will take the time to thank you for this gift. And let me tell you about a few things. And he told them about all the amazing work that God was doing through him, even in the imperial guard. But he also gave them examples to live by. This Epaphroditus who delivered this gift, he nearly died. But through the mercies of God, his life was spared, not only for them, but also for Paul. This was a friend who had brought this gift and God had spared his life. He said, he's doing well. He is one to live by. Sometimes we're not called to become ministers or missionaries that serve on foreign soils or even to embark into this brave new land that he would be leading us to. Sometimes we are like this Epaphroditus who was called simply to go with the gift. And in our journeys, we can face many perils, even in, if we're just staying local. But he was called to risk it for the sake of the gospel. And he lifts up Timothy, one who has dedicated his life, who's through his grandmother and his mother's teachings, he became a child of God and he learned the scriptures and his life was called to be a minister of the gospel. He says, our righteousness is through faith, but we have to keep working at it. Even though we are saved by the grace of God, God's grace doesn't do the work for us. We are to strain forward to the goal. We are to put in the practice and the, the calisthenics and the exercise and the routine so that when the time of trial comes that we will weather it well. You know, our football teams, they don't just practice once and then they're ready for playoffs. They put in summer training. They put in two-a-days. They put in all of these things. And they will face trial and adversity. And sometimes they don't make it to the goal that they have because of things that they can't control. Broken bones, sprained legs, these kind of things. But they'll get another chance next year. Another one after that. Until we are no more. But you have to put in the work if you're expected to make through the trial. These Puritans had put in the work. They had broke away from a corrupt church because their teachings weren't of Jesus Christ. Their teachings were ones that oriented them to this other kind of religion, this other kind of Jesus that used Jesus in name but not in power. And they had found this Jesus of power and they were persecuted for it. But they didn't waver in their faith. And their faith brought them here. And we, we celebrate these stories year after year. And Paul, as he wrote, he said, strain forward towards the goal. Know where you're going. But he also, in the beginning of this chapter 4 that we're in, he pointed out that even in those good places, even in those good company, there can be division. And two of the leading women had a squabble over something. And he says, lay those aside, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let the reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So put everything in perspective in the gospel. Paul learned to live his life in that way. He set others, including himself, of his examples on how we are to live our life in the present. And he says, lay these evil, these vindictive, these arguments that make no difference aside and rejoice together. But in the season of Thanksgiving, if you haven't gone through the starving time, you don't really know how to truly be thankful. In Paul's life, he had gone through the starving time. Jesus' life shows us what the starving time was. There are many examples through the Christian faith that have gone through the starving times. And as they look back, they are able to rejoice because God was at work the whole time. There may be a price to pay now, but God's eternal kingdom and its glory and its mercy and its everlasting love is just a moment away. Whether you, you are a newborn or whether you are nearing your twilight, our finite time on this earth is limited. It's just a speck when you compare it to eternity. So if you will, join with me in prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, teach us to reflect on those trying times. Show us how you have been with us all of our journeys. And teach us to truly be thankful for what we have been given now. As we see the fruits of our labors pay off, maybe we haven't gotten to our point of true thanksgiving yet. But Lord, we know that you are with us. And that the days of thanksgiving and harvest are just moments away. So Lord, as we leave here today, give us a reflective heart to be thankful for what those who came before us went through so that we may not have to suffer. Lord, thank you for those strong believers who faith guided their conscience and who gave us a place that we can call home, a place where we fight for the freedoms of others so that we may worship you truly as you are, as we have found you in the scriptures to be. A Lord full of mercy and grace, he wants to call us his children. It is in your name we pray, amen. And now as we enter our time of invitation, if Jesus has been beckoning you, has been calling you, and you have closed that call, but today you've heart is longing again to be made right. Please come forward, share, share what God is working on in your heart. Maybe today is a day that you are just simply in need of prayer or that God has called you to be a member of First Baptist Church and you're ready to join and be part of this congregation like you haven't been before, truly committed on paper even. Please come forward at this time.